Welcome to the 1909, your home with the state news for everything happening on campus and around Lansing. I'm Lily Gwinney. This is our last 1909 of the school year. We've had a great run here at the State News Podcast Network this year, and I'm really happy I was able to spend the school year telling our newsroom stories for all of you guys. Uh, I hope you all as listeners found the 1909 a reliable place to go to for your news and podcast form. And I hope when things got hard, I was able to provide some levity. I'm not sure yet what next year holds for us. I'll be back at the state news, but I don't know yet what the 1909 is going to look like. But regardless, you can be sure that wherever there's an issue that matters to you, the state news will be there covering it. So we are going to close out what feels like the longest school year ever with a news recap. Let's get into it. A rising demand for restricted supply of varying dosages of the medication Adderall has caused patients diagnosed with ADHD to miss out on their treatment, according to psychiatry experts. And medication has been in short supply since around October of 2022, according to the FDA. Patients are having to call several pharmacies every month to find one that can fill their prescription since prescriptions can't be transferred between pharmacies, and a new script has to be written by a doctor each time a new pharmacy is used by the patient, according to Dr. Tim Spadowski. Spadowski, who works at Olin Health Center, said that this shortage is especially challenging because the dosages of what is short on supply change every week and run out fast. Spadowski said he sent the exact same prescription to three or four different pharmacies before they were actually able to get it filled. Kinesiology freshman Valencia Morris is prescribed Adderall for her ADHD. Throughout the school year, however, though, she's struggled to maintain a consistent supply. Morris would go into pharmacies and ask for half of her prescription, even if she couldn't get the rest until a week later. She called the Walgreens in East Lansing to see if any medication was available, even willing to drive to other locations in Michigan if necessary. At one point, she even took a trip to her hometown in Minnesota to pick up her prescription. It was so extremely complicated and hard and long, Morris said. Since Adderall is a Schedule II stimulant, the DEA imposed a regulation to only allow 30 days' worth of the prescription to be given at a time, meaning that the patient has to navigate new obstacles each month to refill it. Psychiatrist Dr. Swapna Hingway said that when patients aren't able to receive their prescribed medication, their symptoms flare up, causing brain fog, anxiety, restlessness, behavioral health issues, and impacts on academic performance. Patients struggling to access stimulant medications often face challenges in their personal relationships, such as communication, being easily distracted, or forgetful, Hingway said. Some people might assume that you're not interested or you're not paying attention because you don't care, Hingway said. There's so many behavioral effects from ADHD if it's untreated. Hingway said that she hears about patients skipping their medication for an entire month or rationing the pills for instances when they really need them if they can't get their consistent dosage of Adderall when they need it. Spadowski and Hingway both encouraged patients struggling with the shortage of their medication to stay in contact with their health care providers to get the medication they need. Hingway said that the FDA is predicting that the shortages should resolve sometime about around May or June of this year. The East Lansing City Council has approved measures to resolve complaints from an anonymous letter delivered to the city's HR department, which accused council members of conducting business unethically. The first measure approved was a joint statement that set forth the council's intentions to hire an independent entity to review allegations in the letter. City Attorney Anthony Chubb will serve as the city's representative in the investigation. Chubb's appointment was used as an example of, quote, poor management by the council, according to the anonymous writer. It is our sincere goal that this review gets to the bottom of any legitimately significant issues that have been raised once and for all, said the joint statement. The council plans to ask for an update on the investigation 90 days after it begins if they have not received a final report by that point. 
East Lansing Mayor Ron Bacon said he welcomes any scrutiny related to his work as it pertains to the city charter or the politics of the city, but he won't tolerate the letter, quote, trying to lump people into some type of coalition or cabal based on race, gender, or anything else. Bacon said elements of the letter are a direct attack on specific council members' demographics. He said he doesn't consider the, quote, veiled racism in the letter to be veiled anymore. Bacon said he sees a level of coordination and cooperation that indicates the individuals involved in writing the letter are receiving information prior to the time it's available to be requested via the Freedom of Information Act. This is not going to stand. The individual and personal attacks on individual character, the irreparable damage, potential damage to the reputation, Bacon said. The anonymous complaint mentions by name the city's director of diversity, equity, and inclusion 13 times, stating that the city staff has been given the impression that her connections to the council and mayor are allegedly being used by the mayor to ignore the city charter and go around the city manager to influence personnel decisions. Direct or indirect attacks on the character of members of the staff and their politicization will not be part of how we do business here in East Lansing, Bacon said. Students and community members packed the auditorium at MSU's Broad College of Business on April 26 to hear from an unlikely presidential candidate, author and spiritual leader Marianne Williamson. In an event hosted by the MSU College Democrats, Williamson drew applause from the crowd for her stances on structural reform of American political and economic institutions. Williamson, who's currently polling at 8% in the race for the Democratic nomination for president, said that her experience visiting colleges and universities was a significant factor in making her decision to run for president. She said speaking to college students helped her form her economic and social platforms. In her speech, Williamson addressed several issues that have been at the forefront of youth politics in America, from student loan debt relief to national legalization of marijuana. She said that canceling students' debts is a key part of her campaign. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in my 20s carrying tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt, Williamson said, and the only reason you're carrying the debt is because you're trying to better your life. Williamson acknowledged that her surge of popularity amongst young people and college students was largely due to a recent viral turn on social media, telling the audience they, quote, probably know me from TikTok. Among people 18 to 25 years old, Williamson's favorability polling rises to 18%. She devoted a large portion of her speech to speaking out against economic inequality, calling for a revolution at the ballot box to ensure social services like universal health care and tuition-free public college in the face of corporate interests. After Williamson's speech and a question-and-answer session, students and other audience members lined up to take photos with her. While waiting in line for a selfie, pre-law junior Sebastian Linares said that he was energized by her remarks, even though he wasn't originally a supporter during Williamson's first campaign in 2020. She had sort of a spiritualist, holistic message back then, but this time around she's talking a lot more about the economic situation in this country, he said, about the endless push towards war against all these privatized industries and all these things that are driving down the standard of living and are burning people. Linares and his friend, agribusiness management senior Matteo Ponton, attended the event because they were supporters of Senator Bernie Sanders in 2016 and 2020 and felt that Williamson held many of the same policy stances that the two admired in Sanders' platform. Anton said his attraction to Williamson as a candidate stemmed from frustration with establishment Democratic politicians. I'm a Democrat through and through, he said, but I just believe that right now, like Williamson said, there's some Democratic leaders that just are not taking things in the right direction. Both Linares and Ponton said that if the Democratic primary were to occur tomorrow, they'd cast their votes for Williamson. However, she's considered a long-shot candidate for the nomination, especially against incumbent President Joe Biden. Biden announced his campaign for re-election the morning after Williamson's speech on Tuesday, April 25th.
In some Board of Trustees news, after the board denied Attorney General Dana Nessel's request for thousands of long-withheld documents related to the disgraced ex-MSU Dr. Larry Nasser, students reacted furiously and protested the board's decision. Valerie Von Frank, the mother of a sister survivor and president of a survivor advocacy group, said she was glad that there was a demonstration against the Board of Trustees, as the decision affected many students. It's time for victims to come forward and show that they are not going to put up with this anymore, Von Frank said. Victims' rights are really important. Results from MSU's second-ever No More survey show that during the 2021-2022 academic year, 24.8% of undergraduate cisgender women experienced sexual assault since enrolling at MSU. MSU Board Chair Rima Vassar contacted the state's attorney general to tell her she had the votes to release these thousands of long-withheld documents related to the university's handling of the Nassar case. Nessel told the state news that Vassar asked her to send the recent letter reaffirming the demand for the document's release in hopes of reopening the investigation that would have been voted on at the Board of Trustees meeting two weeks ago. But when Vassar made her remarks, she announced the university would not waive attorney-client privilege and would further withhold the documents. Nessel said she had, quote, literally no idea why the board changed its mind. I think that would be a great question for Vassar, Nessel said. Rima Vassar did not return calls or text messages at the time of the state news' publication of this story. Nessel said it makes no sense whatsoever that Vassar would ask her to send the letter if she was going to change her mind or not follow through. At a press conference after the meeting, Vassar said the denial was intended to help survivors, arguing that it would be re-traumatizing for them if the investigation resumed. When asked if she's heard such concerns from any survivors, Vassar said she hasn't, but that she can't, quote, speak to all survivors. Survivor advocates called that argument a betrayal and another straw man. Nessel also took issue with Vassar's rhetoric, saying she was stunned that she would say such a thing when this was her idea to begin with. I don't understand the game playing when these are people's lives that we're talking about, Nessel said. Without the remaining documents, Nessel said she will not be able to reopen the investigation like she had hoped. In news for next year, MSU's Board of Trustees has approved a 7% increase in rates for resident, residence halls and dining plans, arguing that the hike was necessary to keep up with rising inflation. The proposal notes that in seven of the last eight years, room and board rate increases were below 3%. It also argues that even with the increase, MSU's room and board pricing will remain competitively positioned with other Big Ten universities, remaining the third lowest in the conference, according to Deputy Spokesperson Dan Olson. Current first-year students returning for a second year will not see a change in their rate as the university's two-year on-campus living requirement sets rates two years at a time. The hike will see rates for the standard double room and silver dining plan option at $11,754 for first-year students and $10,990 for second-year students. The change will also include a 5% increase for 1855 place in university village apartments, alongside a 3% increase for Spartan Village Apartments. MSU Dean of Students Anthony Williams Jr. voluntarily resigned in February. He received three months of, quote, transitional pay and told staff that he chose to leave because he was a finalist in a closed search at another institution. But Williams' exit was spurred by his inappropriate behavior while at the National Association of Student Personnel Administrators Regional Conference in Chicago, Illinois, in November of 2022, according to records obtained by the state news, which were initially withheld by MSU. Williams is the second high-profile MSU administrator to be allowed to enter into a voluntary resignation agreement following issues with MSU's policy on relationship violence and sexual misconduct this academic year. 
In August of 2022, then-Business College Dean Sanjay Gupta was asked to resign after failing to report an incident of misconduct by a member of his staff. While at a hotel bar, Williams engaged in, quote, a level of consumption of alcohol which led to disruptive behavior and had, quote, interactions with a female delegate that was perceived as unwanted. Williams was removed by security staff, according to a letter from his supervisor, which cited witness interviews conducted by MSU Human Resources. That letter, authored by Vice President of Student Life and Engagement, Benny Gore, said Williams' conduct was especially disappointing given his responsibilities with reporting and regulating substance use and sexual misconduct amongst the students he oversaw at MSU. Gore wrote the behavior, quote, compromises Williams' credibility and effectiveness. Nonetheless, Williams entered into a voluntary resignation agreement with MSU. Gore declined the state news request for an interview regarding why he chose to let Williams resign instead of opting for termination. After his resignation was announced but not explained to his staff, Williams sent them an email apologizing for the department's, quote, abrupt announcement. He wrote, it was, quote, my decision to resign, and I did so for personal and professional reasons. Williams then provided an explanation, writing, quote, I am in the process of pursuing a new opportunity outside of MSU. I am a finalist in a closed search that is coming to an end. University spokesperson Emily Grant could not confirm whether or not there was a real closed search involving Williams. None of the documents obtained by the state news made reference to one. The only response to Williams' explanation came from MSU Director of Fraternity and Sorority Life, Shardana Lawrence, who wrote that she had, quote, never felt more supported, heard, or seen by a supervisor, and pasted a copy of the Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken, according to a copy of the email obtained by the state news. All of Williams' direct subordinates either did not return requests for an interview or referred the state news to Gore, who declined to comment. MSU's Freedom of Information Act office initially heavily redacted records of Williams' misconduct, using an improper application of one of the FOIA statute's exemptions. The state news appealed that determination, arguing MSU is not entitled to secrecy in employment decisions. In response, the university released another version of the letter to the state news, which was less redacted. The public's interest in disclosure outweighs any privacy interest by the employee, said the university's response authored by Interim President Teresa Woodruff. The university did deny the state news's request for the letter's full contents. It argued that remaining portions of the letter fall under another FOIA exemption which protects, quote, non-factual and preliminary advisory determinations made within public bodies like MSU. Ooh, that was a big story, and I want to thank our administration reporter Alex Walters for taking us through that in a way that, you know, was pretty easy to understand. I know I'm sometimes getting caught up in the uh, technicalities of those FOIA stories, And I just wanted to say thanks to Alex and our other administration reporter, Vivian Barrett, for all of their great work they've done this semester in bringing us this really important MSU news. So construction on the new Multicultural Center is officially underway after MSU hosted a groundbreaking ceremony on April 21st. The $38 million project will be the first freestanding multicultural center on campus after decades of student advocacy. Interim President Woodruff said that the center will be a space for people to have critical conversations be themselves, have fun, and learn. She said the center will be a physical symbol of the university's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Woodruff said the center was initially designed to foster this mission. It will have common areas, an amphitheater, outdoor space, and room for events and collaboration. The center will be a living, breathing thing, Woodruff said. It will be animated by the people who work and study here, and it will grow with the cycles of people who've come and are a part of Michigan State. The ceremony marked a crucial moment in the decades-long process to create a multicultural center. 
Miracle Chapman, and alumnus who spent years advocating for the centers, and the push began during the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s. For decades, students protested for increased and improved representation on MSU's campus. What hadn't yet been addressed, however, Chapman said, was the continued demand for space, a space dedicated to diversity for historically marginalized groups to call their own and to find a sense of community that will inspire them to succeed at MSU. The Council of Racial and Ethnic Students, or CORES, first proposed the center in 1995. Four years later, the first multicultural center opened in the basement of the Union. However, CORES and the Black Students Alliance continued to advocate for a freestanding building. In 2013, the center was moved to the second floor of the Union. The effort was reinvigorated in 2019 when then-student and Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer Sarah McConville started an online petition. After that, students from several university groups put pressure on administration through protests and a series of negotiations. Former President Samuel L. Stanley Jr. appointed a steering committee, and two years later, the board approved planning for the project to begin. The final step occurred in February when the Board of Trustees approved the construction and budget for the 34,000-square-foot building. The center will be located at the intersection of Shaw and Farm Lane. Interim Provost Thomas Jitsko said that this location was chosen specifically because it's the center of campus, where he said the multicultural center belongs. Senior Vice President for Student Life and Engagement, Venny Gore, said a key aspect of planning for the project was the inclusion of student voices. There are 22 student representatives involved in the project, five of whom spoke at the ceremony. There were dozens of other students, alumni, faculty, administrators, and staff at the ceremony who were recognized for their efforts throughout the years. And with that, that is our news recap for this week. Thanks for tuning in all year, and we will see you in the fall. And signing off from East Lansing, I'm Lily Gwynny.